0: This is Kyle Hyman here with Bishop Kevin C. Rhodes for our first ever episode of Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. Thanks for being here, Bishop. Thank you, Kyle. I'd like to begin every episode with the Angelus, so would you lead us in that? It's great to begin
1: with the Angelus. We pray this prayer traditionally at noon and 6 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. Of course, a lot of times we can't pray it at the exact times, but it's a beautiful prayer for us to begin this show. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou thou among women, women, and and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother Mother of God, God, pray pray for for us sinners, sinners, now now and at the the hour of our our death. death. Amen. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. holy Holy mary Mary, mother of god God, pray pray for for us sinners sinners, now now and at the hour of our death death. Amen. amen pray for us o holy mother of god
0: that we may be made worthy of the promises of christ
1: let us pray pour forth we beseech you o lord your grace into our hearts that we to whom the incarnation of christ your son was made known by the message of an angel may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On our first episode, Bishop Kevin Rhodes, Bishop of Fort Wayne, South Bend, shares his favorite moments from the recent Convocation of Catholic Leaders in Orlando. He'll talk about the lessons he learned there, and how he hopes the diocese will grow as a result. Then he'll answer questions submitted by listeners, including how we can encourage more lay people to help with evangelizing, and why we ring bells at certain points during Mass. If you have a question for Bishop Rhodes, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or call
0: 260-436-9598. Welcome to the first episode of Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. It's so good to finally be here. I'm Kyle Hyman, here with Bishop Rhodes. Thanks for doing this for us and, and sharing a little bit of wisdom with us every Wednesday at noon you're welcome kyle and we pray for the holy spirit to guide us definitely
1: it's a wonderful opportunity to to speak with you and people throughout our diocese and beyond through redeemer radio
0: yeah and speaking of the holy spirit you just got back from a big conference did you feel like the holy spirit was there definitely
1: this was a national gathering of of catholic leaders from throughout the united states and there were about 3,500 yeah. people, including over 150 bishops, hundreds of priests and sisters and brothers, deacons, and certainly the majority lay people who are leaders in their dioceses and parishes across the country.
0: It was definitely a very spirit-filled event. And there's been plenty of conferences and meetings and things but this is the first of its kind in the past 100 years. So that's kind of a big deal. It is.
1: It was very unique. The theme was the joy of the gospel in America. And really, the impetus for the event was the apostolic exhortation of our Holy Father, Pope Francis, the joy of the gospel, Mm -hmm. Evangelii Gaudium. And there's some beautiful teachings and, and beautiful insights in that document. And that really is what inspired the bishops to call for this national convocation. And it's been a number of years in planning. And I think it it really even exceeded our expectations, our hopes. First of all, it was a very prayerful event. The liturgies were so beautiful. There were times for prayer, confession, Eucharistic adoration, Marian devotion. So prayer permeated the whole event. And then there were outstanding speakers, mm-hmm. I mean, very well-known speakers, who talked about the different different themes. And then there were panels who also would respond or discuss with the speakers, and they were excellent as well. We also had breakout sessions where people could choose which topic they were most interested in, and they could go to a breakout session. I was on a panel in one of the breakout sessions, which was on sexuality marriage and the family went very well. I think everybody was not only enlightened, but inspired to go home, go back to their dioceses and parishes and other institutions to just um, hopefully bring a spark to our ministry and our service in the church. We looked at the challenges, the contemporary landscape, the challenges that we face in, in living the gospel and our challenges to evangelization and in the cultural context that we have today. So it was very realistic. It wasn't some pie in the sky conference. We looked at the real cultural issues and challenges, but not in a spirit of defeatism or anything like that. It wasn't all doom and gloom. Mm -hmm. There was a spirit of hope that we need to see these challenges realistically. But then with our hope in God, to go out and and address these challenges that we can't be complacent. And really that was a main theme of Pope Francis in the apostolic exhortation where he says the church must go forth. Yeah. And
0: uh, not stay in its own comfort zone, especially go forth to the peripheries of yeah. society. Going back to that, the joy of the gospel from Pope Francis that inspired this whole thing. What were some of your takeaways from that document, and uh, do you remember the first time that you read it? I do. I, I probably have read it
1: seven or eight times. Really? Um, the first time I read it, I read it real quickly because it was so interesting. I read mm-hmm. it, I think, in one sitting, but then I had to go back and read it more prayerfully and meditatively. I think the first thing is the title itself, The Joy of the Gospel. Yeah. You know, we joke, and uh, two of the speakers actually mentioned this, it's the – probably the first time in a document of the magisterium where the word pusses is used. <laughs> yes. And uh, some one of the speakers of said, I wonder how that's translated in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> but the Pope is basically saying that we shouldn't be sourpusses. Right. You know, another point in the apostolic exhortation, he said, sometimes Christians look like they're it's always Lent. Right. Um that, or that you're you leaving know, a funeral. Yeah, or like we're leaving a funeral. Yeah. He says, No, the, the gospel brings joy, you mm-hmm. know. And I often think of the words of Jesus where he said, I came that you might have joy, and your joy may be complete. Right. So we should witness to our faith as Catholics, as Christians, with joy. And the joy comes from our faith in the triumph of Christ that um, that He overcame sin and death, that he conquered sin, and that he, he rose from the dead. So I think um, there was definitely at the convocation a, a real spirit of joy. You could It was palpable. But we need that joy even in our parishes and in our individual lives. That's not saying some kind of superficial kind of joy, because obviously there's pain in life, there's struggles, but deep down... When we have the conviction that God is with us and that God saves, um, we can have joy even in the midst of suffering. We can have interior peace.
0: Well, I want to talk to you more about it. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about the Convocation of Catholic Leaders, and we'll take some of the questions that were submitted by listeners here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. This is Kyle Hyman. I am here with Bishop Rhodes for our first episode of Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We've been talking about the Convocation of Catholic Leaders that was recently held down in Orlando, Florida, over 3,500 Catholics from across the country joining to see how we can live out the joy of the gospel as Pope Francis has called us to. What were some of the themes that kept coming up at the Convocation? Well, the first day... There was a lot of discussion about the
1: the context in which we live, kind of looking at the landscape and I liked the the um the phrase the mission field mm-hmm. and um and and that had some very eye opening statistics and
0: sociological uh data um what th- image does that put in your head when you think of a mission field or, do you go military on that or, or what do you think
1: <laughs> well, it definitely Uh, Brings out the idea of, okay, we have a big challenge Yeah, because the landscape is increasingly secularized. Mm -hmm. Um, We see more opposition uh, to the church, but also I think some of the statistics that were very sobering was that nearly 25% of Americans now identify themselves as nuns, N-O-N-E-S. In other words, they don't identify with any religion. And that includes many former Catholics. As a matter of fact, about 20 million Catholics have basically left the church mm-hmm. and considered themselves unaffiliated. That's a huge loss. Right Now, some say, well, really, the numbers aren't going down. That's true, but mainly that's because of immigration. Um, so even if it wasn't for... Uh, immigrants catholic immigrants who come to our country in recent years we would definitely have a decline so so that's i think the biggest challenge especially among the millennials that's where we see the growth in these religious nuns that's why here in our diocese ministry with young adults is is a real top priority um because that's usually the time late teens Mm -hmm. or 20s and 30s where we lose the most and so we need to ha- and there are many different causes that could be looked at but um, but that's part of the the mission field that's part of the the landscape another part of the landscape is the changing nature of the catholic church in the united states as far as its population we there's a lot of growth in the south and the west so so you see a lot of the needs for uh, you know New churches, new parishes, new schools, and all that. So the bishops and the people down in the south and in the west have that challenge. Whereas the the biggest decline is in the northeast and the Midwest, hmm. where there are parishes being closed or merged and consolidated. So that's a whole new another set of of uh, challenges. But then the the ethnic and racial makeup of the church and country. We looked at that a lot. And especially the huge increase increase in the Hispanic population, which I think now is prob- probably 40% of Catholics in the United States are Hispanic. And when you look at young people under the age of 16, we're talking 60% of Catholics mm. are Hispanic. That's a huge um, uh, issue and a great gift in, in many ways. But there's also the concern that we could lose, especially our Hispanic youth, if we're not engaging them in the life of the church,
0: so and these are some sure they, of the landscapes. Sure, also making sure they feel welcome and not feel like outsiders in their own church.
1: Exactly. That's that's key. That it's it's um, this is the church of all of us. It's not the uh, Anglo church. I mean, the Catholic church is universal, and um, so no one should ever feel like an outsider or a stranger because of their. Um, ethnicity or their language. Mm
0: -hmm. Do you have thoughts on, I've been to some parishes that have a very integrated youth group, and I have seen other ones that will do separate uh, English-speaking youth group and a Spanish-speaking youth group, realizing that they have different needs and different cultures and that maybe it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. Do you have any thoughts on which is better or does it depend on the situation you think
1: i think it depends on the situation i think the better is the integrated approach uh however by necessity sometimes um there might need to be separation because of language at least for a time Mm -hmm. generally though with young people most of our places the youth do speak english and are bilingual but when you have a parish or a place where there's more recent immigrants Then it becomes more challenging Mm -hmm. because there the communication becomes an issue. So even if you have some separate activities, there also need to be opportunities to get together, to be together. I faced this when I was a pastor in Harrisburg. My parish was 60% Latino. Many were recent immigrants. It was 20% African American and 20% white. We had four different choirs because it was different kinds of music. And I remember everything was so separate when I started as pastor. But then after a few years, you know, it was so beautiful. I would look up to the choir loft. There'd be the different choirs for a big celebration, for example. And then I couldn't believe it. Uh, it came to be that those in the English choir were starting to sing along with the Spanish songs, and those sure. in the Spanish choir would sing along with the English, and then the gospel choir that we had would join in. And then, I mean, that's so—that's something so beautiful. Yeah. So it's unity in diversity. That's that's so important, and you could see it at the national convocation. All you, I had to do was look around. I mean, there were tons of Hispanics, mm-hmm. many Asians, because there's been a, also a large influx of Asian Catholics, not only the Vietnamese that have been here since the 1970s, but more recent, a very large increase in numbers of Filipinos, Koreans, et cetera. Now, perhaps that's more evident on the West Coast and in certain cities. Sure. Um, but even here in Fort Wayne, with our, our Burmese community mm-hmm. and a more long longer term Vietnamese community so there's that and then there were a lot of African American Catholics as well at the convocation and some who spoke and that was uh, also very very important and and the idea that they expressed some of the African American Catholics was how still in some places they feel as outsiders so that's something we have to change we have to overcome this is our church You know, it's everyone, African-American, Hispanic, Asian, European, American, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought it was just beautiful to see that at the convocation.
0: And one of the things that Pope Francis talks about in The Joy of the Gospel and frequently in his speaking, he talks about going out to the peripheries, which you mentioned. Is this considered the peripheries being welcoming to all different cultures and races, uh, or is that more kind of I think there's so many different ways to interpret the peripheries of uh, the people that are in prison and things like that. So how is that was that broken down at the convocation?
1: Yeah, there was one day, I think it was the second day of the convocation where um, the main theme was what it means to go out into the peripheries. Yeah. And sometimes it's the geographical peripheries. You know, people, you know, there could be places and kind of missionary territory right here in the United States. Mm-hmm. So there's those geographical or and, and there's social peripheries too. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes um, p- people's social situations where they feel excluded. But there's also what Uh, some of the speakers referred to, and I don't remember if the Holy Father himself used this term, he may have existential peripheries. And this gets to those who are um, wounded or hurt in various ways that really need the outreach of the church, people who are are in what can be called spiritual poverty. The peripheries include those in material poverty, you know, that we need to be... um, you know, go out to those who are materially poor, but also those who are, in a sense, poor in a spiritual sense. Those, for example, I remember one of the workshops or one of the breakout sessions was on those with addictions. And we think of mm-hmm. the, 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 um, the huge number of people who suffer with various addictions, whether it's uh, alcohol or drugs or sex, whatever it might be. You know, people who are all in need of the love and mercy of Christ. Um, there's some who are on the peripheries, for example, because of maybe their marriage situation. Hmm. Those who are on peripheries because of um, some other hurt in their life. And remember that image that the Pope used of the church being a field hospital. Yeah. Um, and I think that's such an important image to see us, the church, as a field hospital where people can receive the healing gifts of our Lord's mercy and peace. So one can be on the peripheries because of sin, Mm. you know, someone whose life has been really damaged by by sinful choices. So we need to go out to them like Jesus did to the lost sheep. So this stirred a lot of discussion. Actually, for me, it made me think about our diocesan delegation. We had a wonderful delegation from our diocese of leaders. To think about, well, who are really living in the peripheries here in the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend? And obviously, all the categories I just talked about yeah. would be included. I think, you know, um, Catholic Charities, for example, in our diocese now has the mobile van. And the idea is to go out to the peripheries, those rural areas of our diocese. And that's you know, kind of a geographical periphery, but people who are in need of health care or whatever they might need that we go out to them. But I also think about those in our prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've not been satisfied with our jail ministry. Um, now it's getting better, but when I came here, there was very little happening in a lot of our jails, and I said, we have to. We have to have a Catholic presence in our jails and prisons. And um, to, to help, especially the Catholics who are there, know that they're still part of the church. And then, you know, I, I want to have them being able to go to confession and receive the Eucharist while they're in prison. Mm-hmm. And then to help them when they get out. I mean, this is, this is part of our mission, so there's a lot more that can be said here but but I think it's what jesus uh, it 's what Jesus did I mean he was always reaching out to the sick, the infirm, those who are suffering, the poor and and we 're his church. We need to do the same
0: so how does that look in our diocese for us as individuals, as parishes, as various ministries and schools that we have across the diocese? How do we actually put that in action? And maybe I'll give you a, a concrete one to begin with. Say somebody's listening and says, I'm really drawn to this idea of reaching out to the prison, people that are in prison. What do I do? Maybe I'm really nervous about the idea of doing it, but I feel like this is something that needs to be done. I'm willing to do it. How do they get even involved in that?
1: Oh, I would say with prison ministry, we've really, I have a place here in the diocese for it. We have within our secretariat for evangelization. So they okay. would just need to contact us. Um, and um, and we would help get them involved. Um, I would say, you know, when we look at, at this, I think every parish and every school should ask themselves, how are we reaching out to the peripheries mm-hmm. here in our own parish? You know, one thing I also noticed was, you know, we have a lot of children with special needs. And, you know, I used to it used to break my heart when I would see – that our Catholic schools couldn't accept a child with special needs because we didn't have the money to to staff get, to get the special staff yeah. and that that we needed to serve those needs. Well, we've been improving in that. We've been able to serve more special needs children in our schools. That's another example of the peripheries. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I think our schools are. Um, um, all of our apostolates, and then there are specific work, Catholic organizations um, that really their their mission is very much about the peripheries. I think of the Christ Child Society, the mm-hmm. Saint Vincent de Paul Society, and and we have them all through the diocese: South Bend and Elkhart, Mishawaka, Fort Wayne, and many of the other places in between. Mm-hmm. We have Knights of Columbus, you know, which do a lot of work in faith in action. Um, so I, I shouldn't start naming organizations cause I'm going to forget some women's care centers, sure. um, who, uh, you know, help at Hannah's house. There's just a lot of the service of the homeless and of course our own Catholic charities.
0: And somebody listening might feel called and pulled in one of those directions, probably just encourage them to, if they're not willing to, or if they're not able to do something on their own to get plugged into one of these organizations that are already doing it and help them to fulfill their mission of reaching out to the peripheries.
1: Exactly, because there's a lot of opportunities in our diocese. That's one of the strengths. We have so many Catholic organizations or Catholic-inspired organizations that serve the poor and those in
0: need. And then probably going back to the whole theme of it is doing it with joy. Exactly. (laughs) And, you
1: know, it's not just – we're not just talking about social service here or mere philanthropy. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, about the gospel, and it's about seeing Christ in every one of those people, recognizing them as our brothers and sisters, recognizing their dignity, um, and then witnessing to them with that joyful love.
0: Any other highlights from the speakers, uh, somebody that you really enjoyed or one of the breakout sessions that really kind of drew you in kyle i could talk for hours (laughs) um i i'd have
1: to say um there were all the speakers were excellent i mean there wasn't one that i didn't like um probably the opening plenary address by dr hofsmann ospino he really looked at the landscape that was superb I was very inspired by Archbishop Gomez, Jose Gomez of Los Angeles, especially his. He, he talked about the peripheries, mm-hmm. um, and of course, our service of immigrants and refugees came mm-hmm. in there very strongly. That's another very important area for the church's mission in our country. Bishop Robert Barron uh, wasn't able to be there in person, but he was there, gave a keynote address uh, via video. Uh-huh. And he's always fantastic. Yeah. Um, and he spoke on—you may have heard him speak on the true, the good, and the beautiful. It was right. really, his was probably the most academic talk, and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, um, let me see, and then of course with our, we had some excellent homilies uh, each day with the beautiful masses that we had, and they were all celebrated. Well, they weren't all celebrated by cardinals, but. Uh, one of them was the opening was Cardinal Dolan, and he's always he brings in humor, and and Cardinal Dolan's great. Archbishop Gregory, Archbishop Lori, they were also celebrants. Um, Cardinal DiNardo did the last mass, the closing mass. Um, so they were all very good homilies, um, and they kind of did reflections on the various themes. The Apostolic Nuncio to the United States was there, Archbishop Christophe Pierre. He told us that he was going to tell Pope Francis about the convocation and Mm -hmm. how the spirit is alive in the church in the united states yeah um another principal theme by the way that is so tied to this idea of the joy of the gospel is really a principal theme in the pope's apostolic exhortation it's the call to missionary discipleship i mean that's really the heart of what we're talking about that every baptized catholic is not only a disciple of jesus but it's called to be a missionary disciple, Mm -hmm. that we're a church on mission. I was just thinking, in our own diocese, when you think about if everyone took seriously that call to be a missionary disciple and that call to evangelize, imagine, you know, when I, at Easter time, how many Catholics, how many new Catholics we would have, how many more people would be coming into the church if... Everyone took seriously that call to witness to their faith and actually invite people to the church, invite people to experience um, the truth and the beauty of Catholicism. Mm -hmm.
0: Then were you able to have discussions with the staff from the diocese and other representatives to how do we take this information and not just let it be... Inspirational, but actually put it into practice.
1: Yeah, our diocesan delegation—we had officially 16 leaders from the diocese, but there were some other people from our diocese who were there who are leaders in various movements in the church. Like mm-hmm. there were uh, there were some, for example, from Notre Dame who were there, but they weren't part of the diocesan delegation, but they're part of the diocese. Sure. Um, and there were some others too, two uh, doctors who are part of the Catholic Medical Association. Um, they were along. But anyhow, we did. We would have informal discussions and conversations over meals, and um, and we all went to different breakout sessions so that we could share, since there were so many good ones, yeah. so that we could share. We had one formal luncheon meeting where we discussed how we're going to bring all of this back to the diocese, but we're going to meet now that we're home mm-hmm. to do that in a little more systematic way. Um, and, you know, it's not all about, like, creating new programs. Um, we have a lot of programs. I think the most important thing is is that we look at our mission with fresh eyes and to um, just have a deeper commitment to all of these things. I mean, it may mean a new program. I'm not yeah. s- ruling that out. But it's not so much about programs. It's about really... Living our mission with gusto, you know, to uh, try to ignite that spirit of evangelization. One of the, on the last day, they talked about spirit filled evangelizers. And um, that's really important. And one other thing I I can't uh, fail to mention is that you can't go out unless you first go in. Hmm. One of the speakers, I can't remember, I think it was one of the bishops maybe who who set, who spoke about that because it it all comes from an encounter with Christ in our own lives, in our own prayer, our own hearts, you know we can't give what we don't have, so really it was a call also to a spiritual renewal in our own lives, our own life of prayer, for example, uh, how much do we pray? is it really central to our day um those things because where do you get the energy and the strength to evangelize if not from that friendship with the lord so we have to go in all of us to just spend time with the lord to be with the lord we think of jesus himself he would how often he'd go up on the mountain just to be with his father um so that that's something and we need to be nourished by the eucharist we need to go to confession regularly um you know, we have to receive the mercy of Christ if we are going to try to share that mercy yeah. with others.
0: And do I understand correctly that you will be having an article in the Today's Catholic this weekend? Yes,
1: I'll have, um, there's a, um, this week it will be a, uh, my column, my regular column, it will be kind of a summary mm-hmm. of um, of my experience at the National Convocation. A lot of what's going to, in that column, is what I've been talking to you
0: about yeah. Alright, well people can check that out at todayscatholicnews.org We're going to be back for my favorite part, answering your questions that you have for Bishop Rhodes We'll find out what those are and hear Bishop's response to them here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes on Redeemer Radio This is Kyle Hyman here with Bishop Rhodes for Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes It's now time for Listener-submitted questions, I'm really looking forward to this. We've got all kinds of questions that people have submitted. You can do that at RedeemerRadio.com AskBishop. You you'll can, you see that some people have their names attached to it in parishes. Some have asked to be anonymous. You can do it either way and share your questions so Bishop can respond to those. Our first question comes from Dave Newhouse from St. Adalberts, who says, How can we encourage more lay people to help with evangelizing?
1: Wow, that question fits in with what we've been talking yeah. about. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Excellent question. We definitely have to do a better job at uh, at, at have it getting more of our lay people to, to help with evangelization. Um, I want to say that it begins with every person's witness to their faith mm-hmm. in whatever their circumstances. And that isn't just by going to church on Sunday. It's also by... Um, Witnessing to the joy of the gospel at work, at home, in the neighborhood. Um, You know, people are attracted uh, more by our witness than by our words. And if they see that we live a little differently, if they see, you know, the joy, if they see the goodness, that gets people thinking that they might say, let's say they're not Catholic or, not even, or, or maybe they're one of the religious unaffiliated, and they look and they see the way we're living, and they might say, I want to have that. I want to experience that happiness, you know? So we shouldn't underestimate the power of that everyday witness. But then in addition to that, you know, I think Catholics oftentimes are a little bashful or shy about talking about their faith you know now that doesn't mean you go around preaching to people all the time i mean that can turn people off yeah. but there are opportunities that we can we can take to to talk to people you know just on in the airport uh both going to uh orlando and coming back i i met different people i'd never met before that we ended up talking about the faith now that was very natural because I'm wearing the Roman collar. Uh Now, they didn't know I was a bishop. They'd come up and say, Father. Uh But I had a couple people come, especially on my way back. I said, this is definitely the Holy Spirit, who came up to me and talked about some problems that they wanted. One guy came up to me, said, I never had got to talk one-on-one with a priest before. And he had a serious marriage problem that he Mm. wanted to talk to me about. And he didn't know I was a bishop. He just (laughs) said, I don't think I – I didn't tell him I was a bishop. I said, I like being called Father now and then. So – so, but but for lay people, too, um, to be able to talk about the faith, you know, um, and not in an argumentative way, but just just in a positive way, and then, and not, you know, I know it's scary for some people, so it takes some courage to do this, um, and then to invite people to church. We don't invite people enough, mm-hmm. um, you know, to say, would you like to, you know, you're talking to someone who, who shows some curiosity, why don't I say, would you, why don't you, would you like to come with me? I'll pick you up. We'll go to Mass. And then you could start explaining to them about what's happening at the Mass, etc. Um, but I think we have to really get across to our, to our own people that this is part of their identity as Catholics. Uh, this is part of their vocation. This is a mission. So, I mean, we say it, I mean, the priest or deacon says at the end of Mass, go in peace, Glorifying the Lord by your life, or go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Yeah. You know, that's our calling. We don't just go to the Mass and then that's it. At the end of Mass, we're sent on mission. Think about the word Mass. It comes from the Latin Misa, which means sent. The word Mass means sent. It comes from the very last words Go forth. Uh-huh. You are sent. So, that's how we should be looking at our life. We're, we're, we're nourished and strengthened by the Eucharist and then sent on mission to live the Eucharist, to bring Jesus, whom we've just received, his body and blood, to bring him to others. Uh, Mother Teresa was a beautiful example of that because she saw that connection between what she received at Mass, and which was Jesus in the Eucharist, and then to see him in the distressing disguise of the poor um, and that's that's really so, so definitely, Dave, um, we need to get more people engaged in this. And I think um, we need to teach more about how to do it, mm-hmm. like I've been trying to do in answering this question, but also to help people to see that this is an essential part of our identity.
0: And I think a lot of times as as laity can, feel like it's somebody else's job. Like I put money in the collection, I support the parish, that's the priest's job and the people that work at the parish. In the same way that parents can sometimes feel like, well, we send our kid to CCD or to Catholic school to get their Catholic education and not realize that we are the primary catechists. And so to first acknowledge that the laity need to be evangelizing and then look for ways that we can be doing that. Exactly.
1: You know, there's the great majority of people are never going to come across or meet necessarily a priest or a religious or a, a, a church employee. You know, there's people that our lay people see every day at work or in their neighborhood that we'll never meet. Mm-hmm. So the only way they're going to um, experience the church or come to Christ is is through them, through our laity.
0: Well, in the same way that that man knew that he could approach you because he saw the collar maybe there's something that we can do a sticker on our car a cross around our neck a little uh, inspirational you know quote or a bible sitting on our desk at work that lets people know this is somebody that i can approach to ask questions about the catholic church or christianity you know to open up that dialogue yeah those things are really helpful i think they're great ideas
1: or even in your home outside a statue of the blessed mother or something, like, or St. Francis or something, you know, that, um, yeah, we, we shouldn't be afraid to, to show that we're Catholic. Another thing is you go out for meals at a restaurant or a fast food place. You know, don't be afraid to say grace in public. You know, you're not doing it to call attention to yourself, but you're just doing what should come natural to mm-hmm. us. And if others see it, it can open a door.
0: My great uncle was – from indianapolis and he would always when he was traveling wear a hat either that said indianapolis 500 or that he was a veteran and that would just so he could have conversations with people and people would approach him because they would have either connection to indiana or as a vet and we should be doing the same thing as our faith being being proud of our faith and then people know that they can talk to us about that too if they have any questions or anything
1: yeah, like sometimes I'll have a Notre Dame cap on. This yeah. is like if I'm on vacation or whatever or playing sports. And people will come up and want us to talk about Notre Dame. What do you think about this football season coming up? <laughs> you know, I, I should have something like of Pope Francis or,
0: yeah. you know, a rosary or something. Uh, All right. Well, when we come back, we are going to have more from Bishop Rhodes on Truth and Charity. We'll take more questions from our listeners here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes on Redeemer Radio. This is Kyle Hyman here with Bishop Rhodes for Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We've been answering some questions from some of our listeners, and we have a couple anonymous questions. One person asked, How are dioceses formed, and how are the boundaries set? So, when does a diocese become an archdiocese? Is another question. And is there ever a new diocese formed in the U.S.? Lots of of questions bundled up in this one. Yeah, that's a lot of questions.
1: But let me try to answer it. But um, basically, when it comes to um, formation of dioceses, that's really something that uh, is done by by Rome, Mm -hmm. specifically by the Pope or those who serve the Pope. So as the church grows in a particular region, new dioceses are created. A diocese may be growing a lot in population, so it's split into two dioceses. Obviously, when the Church United States began, the first diocese in our – well, we were actually part of the Diocese of London and then part of Quebec. And I mean, just the first diocese in the United States, though, was Baltimore. It encompassed uh, all that at that time was the United States. I think it was 1787 or 1789. And then in 1808, four dioceses were created from the Diocese of Baltimore, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, and Bardstown, Kentucky. So but we, they still would have covered the entire United yeah, States? Yeah, yeah. Now, of course, it wasn't what is today the United States, because some of the was in French hands, some in Spanish hands, etc. Sure. The, um, so, so the church grew. More and more dioceses were created. Uh, an archdiocese is, would be what we would call the, um, the, the principal diocese of a, an ecclesiastical province. So for example, dioceses are grouped, um, in a province. Mm -hmm. So we're part of the province of Indianapolis Mm -hmm. and that's the archdiocese. The province also includes the diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, the diocese of Gary, the diocese of Lafayette and the diocese of Evansville. So a diocese becomes an archdiocese only when it becomes a province. Okay. Okay. So that's
0: not always
1: specific to the state boundaries. No, no. Because there's areas in the country where there might be several states, Mm -hmm. you know, where there's less population that would be united into a province. Now, in Pennsylvania, there were eight dioceses. That was one province. Philadelphia was the archdiocese. But if you look at, um, I'm trying to give an example of another province that crosses the state lines. I think, for example, the province of Boston. Boston is an archdiocese, but it would include not only the dioceses of Massachusetts, but also Maine and New Hampshire and Connecticut and Rhode Island. So so that's basically – I hope that answers the question. Are there ever new dioceses formed in the United States? Yes. Um, You know, I think probably the most recent ones are areas where the church is really growing, like Texas. I know there have been new dioceses in the past – decade or two that have been created in Texas. And there may be some other areas that I don't know. Um, and there are also times where a diocese could be suppressed, um, where what was a diocese could be put in within other dioceses because there's been a decline in population. Now, that mm-hmm. doesn't happen very often but because the church is pretty much growing all over the world. But that does happen at times. So I hope that helps. But it's basically a decision made by, by uh, in Rome, You know, it would be something
0: that the Pope would have to approve. Okay. Another question that we have from an anonymous person says, why do we ring the bells at the consecration and other times during Mass? Let's start maybe with when are those times that we ring the bells during Mass? Well, it's really during the uh, Eucharistic prayer. um,
1: Generally, when the – and it's not required, it's optional. When the priest prays the Epiclesis, that's the prayer – where he puts his hands, both hands over the bread and wine uh, with palms down, Mm -hmm. and he prays that the Holy Spirit may descend and uh, change the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. Often that's when the bells are rung. Mm -hmm. And then they're rung again when the priest holds up the sacred host at the moment of consecration, right after he says, this is my body which has been given up for you. And then when he raises the chalice, filled with wine and says this is the chalice of my blood etc when he elevates the chalice then the bells are rung um there's uh, as i said it's not an obligation it's an option it used to be an obligation but now it's optional so a lot of places some parishes they do some parishes they don't this is something that goes back really to the 13th century um It was really to as a signal to the faithful, because when Mass was celebrated in the Old Form, um, you know, it was celebrated in Latin, and the priest was was facing the East, and people may not have known when exact, and the priest would pray the Eucharistic prayer very soft voice, so people wouldn't hear And we didn't have sound systems like we do today. Right, so people wouldn't even hear, so that's how they knew okay, this is the consecration mm-hmm. because the bells were rung. So you might say, well, we don't need that anymore. Why do we still do it? Well, as I said, it's an option, but it's a custom that you has know, kind of come back. I see more and more parishes doing it. And I, I kind of like it in the sense it's, it's kind of drawing attention to that mm-hmm. important moment. Um, the ringing of the bells um, You know, kind of brings attention to the, the this is an important moment. Uh, it's the moment of transubstantiation.
0: Well, I think that's all we have time for today. We will be back next week at noon here every Wednesday for Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. Thank you so much. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Oh, very happy.
1: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Both now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thank you, Bishop. I appreciate your time today. You're welcome, Kyle.
2: Stay tuned for another episode of Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes on Wednesday at noon. Thanks to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union for underwriting this program. If you have a question for Bishop to answer on a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com or call 260-436-9598.